Once again on the Crash Chords Podcast, I, of course, once am Matt. Again on the Crash Chords Podcast, I am, of course, I'm Steve. What, what just happened? <laughs> I think you broke John's brain. Just say who you are. That oh, was not I'm... an edit, ladies and gentlemen. I'm messing with Matt. Oh, I like this game. Can we play? Can I play? The, yeah, you have to no. introduce yourself. No, I think we have more. You're, oh, not, you're not invited. You're John's? We're both. Oh, you're both John. Yeah. You sure you're not Jan? I've already been... Conf- John and Jan. I've been referring to myself in the What would be the plural, plural of John and Jan? Would that be John's or Jan's? The plural what's it called the plural i broke your personal, brain <laughs> like i don't know anyone else smell, John's still talking. anyone else smell toast i smell toast <laughs> i think it's burnt rubber i think that's is the it one. i thought it was toast you smell when you're having a stroke them. toast is one of them uh, burnt rubber is another one problem is uh, i burn all my toast and i work in an electronics area so i always smell burnt rubber so i never know what i'm stroking out <laughs> You could be stroking out right now for all we know. I know. It's just in my nose at this point. I'm nose deaf. I would never know if I'm stroking Best out. Best bet, just assume you're stroking out all yeah. the time. Yeah, I'm pretty much. All of the time. Well, I consume pr- approximately 40 ounces of Red Bull a day. So, oh, yeah, I know. That's it's a lot. awful. Yeah, it pretty much is. John's not going to be here that much longer. So, Well, to be fair, he's phone. already lasted longer than I bet about 10 years yeah, ago. Yeah, the over-under on me making it to 30 was not good. Mm. It really wasn't. Nope. All right. And now I'm the only one in his 20s. That's true. Yeah, we didn't bother with an over-under on you, because you're going to outlive <laughs> us all. That's true. Mostly because he'll be sitting on a porch shaking his cane at people yeah. in, like, five years. I don't know. Five. I'm not getting a lot of exercise lately. He needs a porch. That's he true. A, he, he just has a stoop. That's yeah, true. I want a veranda. I always wanted a veranda. A veranda? Yes, a yeah, wraparound. I know, but a porch is it's more a, than enough. It's a veranda. Are you actually going to use the side? Yes, sure. All the time. I would. Oh. I would just pace. I would pace and use every single corner of it just to prove you wrong. Starting now. I know you would. But you now that pay- we've had the discussion, you would in fact do that. I'll add. But I'll edit that. Before I brought it I'll, up, I'll edit the report. You would just keep going back and forth in the main front area. This way, you have something to be angry towards, aka the people outside of your yard. Well, yeah, it would be a lot easier. I'll be old. Yeah. Next year. <laughs> anyway, back on topic. Do we have a topic? No. no. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, it's probably something in the notes. Could be. Um, Steve, why don't you tell us about our album this week, since a friend of yours recommended it. That is right. Today is another fan pick, and it comes from Jessica Ferraro, the lovely wife of my friend, longtime friend, Mike Ferraro, and she thought she'd bring an album called Nothing More by the band Nothing More. They're actually based in both San Antonio, Texas, and in New Orleans. Uh, The members go as follows. Johnny Hawkins, Daniel Oliver, Mark Vallalunga, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Probably not. And Ben Anderson. So they're more of like a hard rock alternative metal kind of deal. Um, Wikipedia also mentions prog metal. I don't know if that's particularly apt, but there's still the alt varieties in here. Stemming from, I think, the kind of hard rock that you'd probably have heard from, like, you know, the 2000s on. But they, they switch it up. And they infuse, I noticed, a lot of electronica influence. And supposedly they're really, really awesome live. So if you um, are not digging the the studio release, then go check out the live stuff, because maybe it'll be completely different for you. Now, quickly, 
It should be mentioned that the lyrics on a lot of these albums, I think, are not written by those core members. They're written mostly by Paco Estrada and Will Hoffman, and I'm not exactly sure how their relationship is with the rest of the band. I mean, they may just be songwriters for hire. Songwriters, oh, that's very possible, but then it says, like, most of the music itself is is written by nothing more, and I guess that would include the band members that I mentioned, but I don't know. I, I just don't know how they're related. If someone knows this, please share. Yeah, comment, yell at us on Twitter, you know, whatever channel you want to get to us from. Yes. Send Steve a hate mail at steve.nagel at crashcords.com. Dang. <laughs> um, Call out. <laughs> there we go. One more thing, though. Um, this is technically, uh, this is obviously the self-titled, and it does kind of coincide with their debut album, but not quite. It's their debut album through the label 11.7 Music. They have had a previous album, but this is the major label. So, supposedly, this is like... The the real deal. I don't know. It was also fans might disagree. With originally that. released, uh, self released about a almost a year prior, if not a, a over a year prior, back in twenty thirteen. It actually got picked up by the label afterwards and was re released for more wide uh, audiences. Distribution. That's interesting. Distribution. Yeah, I've never heard of that happening before. Yeah, it's, I'm sure it has, but yeah. yeah, but it's a little weird. Um, the first two albums were self-released. The, after that, where they were with Vesti Entertainment, but it was six years between their fourth album and this release, or at least five years between their uh, fourth album and this release. So it's been a little bit of a hiatus for them. Hmm. And see what they got: their first song, "Ocean Floor." Ocean Floor. Oh, I wouldn't say song. This is an intro. Yeah, Drug, it's through. an intro, but there are lyrics. Sure. Um, and it starts off with that sort of electronica infusion that I that I mentioned. A kind of strange vocalizer effect on their lyrics. It, it sort of threw me off in the beginning because there's not really any music. There's not any 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 instruments in the background. All you hear is just these vocals sung like through this 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 pipe sound. It, the aesthetics of this track, as it picks up from the beginning, gives you this feeling of being submerged underwater with the title solution floor is on the nose but nonetheless that's what they're going for here they're trying to set a scene and develop an aesthetic for the in- intro track yeah and the track is only about a minute long but a, uh, a few seconds into it after we just get the sole vocalizer effect then it, it really takes on that underwater sensation it actually reminded me of a, of a band called hoover phonic come to think of it anybody familiar no, no not no. even a they were back in they were back in the 90s so i don't know maybe it was that that era of electronica that i was hearing in this but it's uh it's kind of a strange brand of electronica because it also feels like it borrows a little from industrial just in the beginning here but certainly not in the later portion of the album uh, and then at the very tail end of this intro, it goes into something that's a little more grounded, a little more rock, a little less electronic, but it sounds like it's mixed down. Mm-hmm. And that actually forges the the preverse of what is then repeated in the following track, track two, This Is The Time, Ballast, in parenthesis. Going from that very muted introduction into this first uh, full-fledged song, it was... I have to question one thing. Why do they actually separate the two pieces? That's the one thing, because it's felt so natural. It felt like a very easy progression from one to the next. I did not notice it at the time. I feel like maybe if that intro had just been tacked on to the second track, it might have made the intro feel a little long for the intro to a song as opposed to an intro to the album. It also may have something to do with the foreshadowing, which comes from the lyrics. Uh, The lyrics are pretty straightforward for that intro. When did we become these sinking stones? When did we build this broken home? Holding each other like ransom notes, dropping our hearts to grip our brother's throat. 
And then to follow that, the more underwater section, it actually is pretty upfront with that. I'm on the bottom of the ocean floor, eye for eye, drowning just to keep the score, blaming the world outside, ourselves surrounded by mirrors in a sinking shell. It, it, there's a lot of vagueness to this, but at the same time, it's, it's clear that it's trying to portray this idea of, okay. The imagery is pretty strong. Yeah, like, there is something afoot. There is something we've done wrong, and this is like a state of reflection. So I see that, that sort of tail end uh, of this track as it leads into the next track as kind of the, the thought that led to the greater exposition which we're about to describe. But I'm even going to reiterate that. That first verse is word for word the same thing as the first verse of... This is the time. Yeah, it's, it's the same exact. Well, the first thing. track is all about aesthetics, whereas now they're going to. I understand mutate that. it into a full-fledged song. It's just weird because now that we're in, this is the time. This is very straightforward, which it's, is an odd hitch from the introduction. It really ramps up the volume on on the way they sung the the tail end there. It's an enhancement of that that heavier style. Um, like I said, we return to the same lyrics and then of, of the earlier portion, and it's just filled with attitude, the kind of attitude, like I said, that I expected from, from rock, at least of the last 15 years, and I feel this could almost be placed just about anywhere throughout it, but that's not initially a, a, a critique. I think that's just kind of a, it, it's where they sit, it's what they're familiar with, and, um, it's, it's still pretty tight. To be honest, one of my favorite elements of this was their vocals. Uh, the vocals really remind me of kind of this uh, Coheed and Cambria, Mars Volta, that kind of high falsetto that those two bands, that the lead singers of those two bands have. And it, they could, they're contenders right alongside it, the lead singer here. And it's not really plain. It, it does go through what could be considered a very standard progression, but by the time we get to the chorus, there is some light progressive elements in the guitar that mm -hmm. do liven it up for me. Well, I think the dichotomy starts with the, the verses having this very grindy kind of grunge heavy metal guitar that kind of gives way to this more melodic guitar in the chorus, which I think having those two different kinds of guitar lines fleshes out the song a bit, even though the structure could be considered somewhat standard. It does divide the verse and the chorus as far as overall tone is concerned, but that grindy, thrashy guitar didn't seem as interesting as the melody guitar that was present in the course that was present in the later bridge work it was just so much more interesting for me to really follow that along because it wasn't just playing a repetitive rhythm melody it was it was jumping up and down it was getting a little experimental and once i latched onto it i was just enjoying it full force this is also the kind of track where i feel wherever your tastes take you you're going to be honing on that particular element of this song you're going to be honing in on the guitar if you think that that's the the big factor you'll be honing in on the voice if you think that's a big factor and to be honest i'm also going to throw out the drums here because the drumming in this track was really superb you really see it later on in the breakdown even the bass. The bass was nice and playful, especially towards the latter part. <laughs> I think of... we've just covered every element. <laughs> yeah, no, it, there was a lot of different things going on right here. It was sort of like a smorgasbord which of is, different elements which is of, why, of yeah, metal. Absolutely, which is why I'm inclined to kind of overlook the fact that maybe we're familiar with the progression of this track and the, and the, the, the structure that it holds, which is, is common within the last 15 years. It's, uh, it's the way they kind of slowly peel back the layers and, and you see the talons underneath. Like, for instance, uh, what I experienced with the vocals was that in the verse, initially, all right, it didn't blow my mind. The pre-chorus has a really, really great melody. It's really catchy, but it's not that soul vocalist that's that's really up on a pedestal. Still, it's very, very playful. This whole uh, later in the chorus, 
do you feel, do you feel, do you call this all life? And they kind of like stutter that out, repeating things, you know, being a little playful. It actually is a bit of an earworm. It stays in your head. And then finally in the chorus, it's it's at its absolute strongest. And this is where that sort of Coheed Cambria-esque voice takes flight. And his, it's, he's just soaring above everybody else. You know, you're you're whisked away by it in some respect, while yet the rest of the band it gets tends to still be very heavy and grounded. And this is uh this is their overall sound, but I it's it's got its strengths. I would agree, but I would also point out that they're not revolutionizing what we've come to expect from the genre in this song. I feel like they're doing the best within those constraints, but it's not breaking any boundaries. It's it's still really good, but it's not it's not doing anything unique. Not, ge- not, not genre-wise, true. Right. But yeah. I, I do think they're completely owning this. I think oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. of the stuff that I, I recall, you know, up to up to a decade ago, it was never this tight. The the honestly, the drums really blew my mind in the breakdown. They're downright insane here, extremely tight. So yeah, going that. from that muted uh, introduction into this track, we go straight into Christ Copyright, which starts off with a really, really nice acid rhythm. Acid, acid percussion section. Yeah, that kind I of a love. spastic techno, like you'd find in well, what we found in Square Pusher, but maybe not even the album that we looked at by Square Pusher, which was back in episode uh, one fifty three, um, Damage and Furies, but really old Square Pusher, the kind of stuff he did back in the nineties. Uh, it's just all over the place. The definition of acid techno, trying to kind of like keep you on your toes, spaz you out a little bit. Um, Coupled with some great thrash guitar, I was really enjoyed it in this frame of reference. It seemed like the rhythm was matching up so much better than the previous track, which allowed me to just enjoy the wall of sound that was being produced here. It also really belted out around like 13 seconds. There was this sound that I, I felt was almost like a cheetah that kept returning like every... Like every single single time they go back to this hook, it's like a wow. <laughs> it's the only way I could describe it, but that's like the key component of this uh, this early trade it's like the it's almost a theme it's your character well this this song also was way more in your face than the previous track even though the previous track had heavy moments this one is definitely way more kind of up front and center um and way more aggressive than the previous track as well it starts with the lyrics don't form thoughts trust politicians forfeit soul pursue religion lose free will to gain protection sink the ship with good intention all right they're already doing some really just in your face confrontational words going on right here it's um they have i mean they have their bent and the bent is pretty interesting it's it's still see the thing is there's a lot of attitude just in this type of genre itself so i feel like sometimes you can get lost in the veneer of it simply being attitude but you shouldn't you should follow the lyrics because obviously they have their uh they have they have things they want to get off their chest that said, around like 27 seconds in, that, that verse that you just read, it, mm-hmm. it's, it does seem to kind of cool down, except the vocalist. Like every instrument, it just, you know, simmers down a little bit, but the vocalist is still belting it at the top of his lungs. Um, the guitars really just kind of hug the left ear, but they're picking rapidly enough that you just get this steady drone, and the vocalist just shouts overhead. Not that he necessarily needs to, everyone can hear him, but he's at the top of his lungs, and I, I really could see how this would work in the live setting. I see how this would be a real fun track to listen to. My only kind of down note for this track for me personally is that he got a little screechier in this track than the previous. I like when he hits the high falsettos, but, you know, without 
even a little breaking is fine, but when you screech and scream, like I feel like unless it's for emphasis in a particular moment of the song, it just feels wearing. Um, and there was a little bit of that in this track. Not enough to ruin it, but definitely enough to take notice and that I would have preferred less of. No, I agree. It's a, it's more like that three tracks in, you start being a little bit picky and choosy on what you like best about their style, and it's like, okay, this was... It, when, they're, when they're going at the top of their lungs, it seems like they're not able to fulfill uh, the full breadth of their message almost like when they just simmered down a little bit that's when i enjoy it there was the aspect of this the the continuous strum of the rhythm guitar was kind kind of getting to me after a little while i liked it in the beginning but there wasn't quite that coloration that was keeping it lively for me see now that's actually something i disagree with i think this track was was really jam-packed in terms of rhythmic change change-ups i thought it was incredibly dynamic and uh complexity I, was there but it was just it, it seemed like they didn't want to stop. And um, that I would have appreciated a little bit more. Perhaps it was a little bit of, you know, getting carried away, getting whisked away by the, the acid techno, just like like seeping through the cracks into this otherwise perhaps formulaic song. But I feel like it kind of worked and it was able to it was able to bring me in a little more because I would tend, I think, more often than not to prefer the spasticity over the formulaic stuff. That tends to win me over. I, I would agree. I feel like when they already at this point, when they do something a little more interesting than something formulaic, is where I'm hooked. Yeah, just an eyebrow razor. Whenever. <laughs> and I mean, in the next track, track four is actually a, a, a even bigger eyebrow razor. This this well, may be my favorite worded track. So th- I want to I want to take on the intro here because this is a song that I'm ver- it, it samples a song I'm very familiar with. So the song is called Mr. MTV, and it. From the minute it starts, it samples Money for Nothing by Dire Straits, and it's the I want my MTV. But they hold that note just long enough to then kick into the guitars. They don't actually roll over with the rest of the intro to Money for Nothing. What's even more interesting about this song is that it feels like, in lyrics and in message, an updated version of the kind of message of being overwhelmed by technology that the original Money for Nothing song had. I mean, the, the song starts without pulling any punches with the lyrics, free drugs, cheap sex, fake tans, big breasts, high times, pimped rides, lost days to blackout nights. That was the opener. I mean, yeah. it goes so far in this. It, it has some really solid wordplay going on. In my eye life, in my eye world, on my iPhone, with my eye girl. Just one bite to understand. Even Eve couldn't live without the eye plan. And I love <laughs> the bite. Good. Yeah. The word bite, when it gets thrown in context with Eve, completely changes because bite, bit of information, all that sort of idea. Awesome. And then to have it with the forbidden knowledge, Garden of Eden. I, I like that. Well, that also, was... what's interesting is between after the first two verses, you get I want, I want, I want. And then after the second two verses, you get I need it. So it's it. There's a progression narratively for this song as well, which I really like. Compared to the previous three tracks we've gotten, this just seems leaps and bounds better message-wise and structure-wise because we're getting something really intriguing here. I absolutely agree, and I also think it's because you know they they had those times where they simmered down a little bit. Uh, the only little little split I had with maybe the transition into this track is the fact that the last track. Uh, it brought me in for different reasons. You know, this track is not full of the same spastic processes that you're just sort of in a trance by and watching them, you know, go left, go right. Instead here, it's it's really more about the times where they just simmer down. It's these little proggy post-rock breathers, like in the pre-chorus. Uh, it, it feels like it's just, 
the, the verses sometimes are like completely rethinking one another. And I really emphasize that post-rock feel because they're just full of light picking, hardly any percussion, and just overlapping vocals in the background that just sound like they're they're cut off in the editing. This uh, sort of, I think, John, you described it as sort of an echo release. Especially in that second verse. The echo release is very reminiscent of uh, Hybrid Theory, Linkin Park. Sure. It was something that I thoroughly enjoyed with that album as well. It's... It's playful in the music because from that that heavy guitar line that really banged out drums in the very beginning, it cleans up so quickly and so cleanly that the verses, they feel unrestrained, but they don't feel cluttered. It doesn't feel like everybody's throwing everything at once. It just feels like, all right, let's just play around while we're getting a message out there. This combination allows the lyrics to really come through, allows the singing style to really come through, and allows me to really enjoy... That verse two echo. Yeah, and, that and verse two echo was so much fun. Even the way it develops out of that, the extra element they tacked on was a little synth bass in the background. So yeah, keep this little underbelly going. Love it. What I also like about this track is that it takes time to breathe, and even in the pre-chorus with the rising guitar movement and this kind of notes, the scale that it does, it just it feels like this song is taking more time to contemplate what it actually means and what what it's actually going for. It doesn't feel maybe as rushed as the previous track did. And then the key thing the hook just yeah. the, the, oh, the yes. core melody Very of solid. the chorus empty me empty nation emptied us of inspiration bastard sons and broken daughters all bowed down to our corporate father despite like the really heavy-handed kind of like been there done that message yes yes corporate are evil blah 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 but like the just the melody the melody is you want to sing along to it it's a perfect hook for this sort of song because all the content is loaded in the verses. The chorus is just there to make it more anthemic, to really make it that song that you sing along to. When they, the final verse, or verse-chorus combination, MTV, MT Nation, as in M. And of course that confused me when I first when I first heard it. I thought it was actually saying like MT Nation, and I thought it was just like, this is really, got rid of the V. This is really good. No, it's not. Wordplay. It's MT Nation. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotta read it. <laughs> so MTV, MT Nation, empty us of inspiration. Yeah. It's a play pa- on In the fact, first version, past yeah. tense emptied us of inspiration, which is important because essentially he believes the damage is done. Yeah. Which is why I think it was such an astute observation that you recall the MTV. See, I didn't know this stuff, right? I didn't have cable back in the 90s. Wow. We were very, very late. So when I heard this, I was like, whoa, that's a that's a really cool ambient intro that they just, with the, with the angelic falsetto, and I didn't notice that was actually a they sample. literally plucked it from the previous song yeah. and the best part is but that's why it's so great because that was almost like foreshadowing uh you said the band itself right they were they were making a statement the well, original band well the original band dire straits were making a similar message but also on top of it like this was prevalent on mtv like the fact that they said i want my mtv mtv became, ate that up yeah. it became an, an, and it was one of the most played music videos on mtv for a long time which also. is just a case of irony right yes. because they the what was the band who wrote it Dire Straits. Dire Straits. And Dire Straits was making a statement of themselves, and now here they're kind of following up on that same mm-hmm. that same indictment. It feels like a, and it's been, the damage is done. It feels like a spiritual sequel to uh, Money for Nothing, and that's why I think yeah. I like it so much. It's, it's, it's actually along the same sort of vein. It is repetitive. You're not really being thrown outside the lines uh, of what this song is going to do, but it remains engaging by flipping up enough stuff, by adding enough coloration that I was 
complaining about in the previous. Yeah, tracks. I do. I do want to emphasize that as we as we as we talk up the message behind it, that it still feels like the music is sitting again within. It's not reinventing the wheel. It's just you know it's sitting anywhere within the last fifteen years. But this but engagement I, I think is it a gave something level. else to it. Exactly. Yeah. And also, I even kind of like the breakdown here, where like the gruff oh, vocals yeah. entered mm-hmm. in and started just echoing the singer, parroting the singer in the background, and then it finally returns to the chorus which is is no problem for me that they keep having on the chorus because the chorus is incredibly catchy yeah and then from there the the outro also echoes that bridge because it gets very aggressive very fast and yeah. it ends it just gets really heavy and then just culminates which i think was kind of a great way almost like ending in this heavy frustration which yeah. i think kind of really wraps up the track nicely yeah it, it, it made me really want to go back almost 10 years and just reinfuse this into the ether of the time <laughs> so let's go to track five first punch so this starts with heavy speed guitar heavy heavy like just we're getting more speed than we've gotten on any other track prior and i guess showing off their chops of how fast the guitars can play which i mean in any metal band is a thing that will happen probably and it goes through the phase work of introducing the instrument which i like i like this sort of a build so that we know what we're getting ourselves into it's not just a wall of sound right away it's not a heavy thrashing which is what a lot of the tropey heavy metal would would try to do in this place. By the time it actually gets to the verses, though, by the time it actually gets to the words, it once again kind of cleans it up, cools it down just enough so that you can hear everything that's being said and you can just enjoy it. That said, though, I mean, between the growl and the fact that we're now starting to see a familiar structure again, I feel like it's enjoyable, but this is the first time at track five that we're starting to see something we've seen in track one. Yeah, it was a little characterless. Or track two, rather. It was a little characterless until the chorus, I felt. Mm -hmm. The chorus really did clean up the growl to the more melody driven vocal work also it was more it was almost like half the pace the uh the beginning was almost like a quick step this quick like one and two and one and two and then how all of a sudden now we're down to about half that and this this is more of like the dramatic sway as opposed to other choruses where normally it's like double time or a lot more in your face instead this is just swaying and it's interesting that the melody uh as much as i enjoyed it and i do want to emphasize that i enjoyed it it sounded extremely familiar this was a case where i was just like i know this i know this from somewhere and And john came in oh i figured it out almost instantly as soon as you started whistling it yeah it's cold plays the scientist it's similar not the same oh but it is so similar like almost half the phrase is is identical and it's not i'm not i'm not accusing anything this is not like saying it's lifted it's lifted no this is just a case where it's just it's it's almost so embedded because scientist was a big song it was around i mean obviously for it's well five years yeah exactly Five years. Well, no, more than that. Actually, it was probably no, no, no. I mean, it was like hit. A big oh yeah, hit exactly. For like five and then years. like constant radio play for five years or straight. Or television exactly. shows, or even movies and things like that. It was all over the place for such a long time yeah. because of how iconic the pacing of the vocal work was. Here we're getting a extremely similar pacing of the vocal work to a very different tune, and I think they're owning it. It's this, well, it's actually the same tune in in the same pacing, but to a very different tone. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. What I meant. <laughs> but they're owning it here. They're really... It's, it's not reinventing it, but they're really focusing it within their metal framework, and it's working great for me. Yeah. It's an earworm for me already. Yeah. What's interesting about this song also structurally and instru- instrumentally is the fact that it goes from something heavier and faster to this slower, airier, airier thing. Slightly airier. <laughs> Slightly airier. Is that 
it kind of gives this feeling of pent-up aggression, which is mostly what's coming up in this song, um, with lyrics like, I'll hold it in, I'll hold it in, I'll hold it in, forget it now, I'll throw the first punch. This idea of like letting things build up and then releasing, kind of, it gives that impression structurally, too. And also, they, I, yeah, and we're continuing from there, because I've kept my mouth shut far too long, enough's enough, and you say I'm wrong, but it feels right, and it's about damn time, it's been too long, he's just releasing all of this. Um, and it's, it's, it's nice to finally, like, get that on the, on the, the receding end of the chorus, rather, again, than the, I'm gonna thrash this out. It's just yeah. like, alright, I'm, I am resolved. Enough is enough. And it also closes this up with a very wonky, like, flat five, uh, reintroduction, I think, to the following verse. And there is one little thing, though, that comes later in the song, and this sadly becomes a running theme for a couple other songs. So there's a half-chorus breakdown, a.k.a. they take the chorus, cut it in half, and just just simplify it. Bring the mic very close to the singer, really get that kind of uh, almost, almost in-your-ear speak going on with very little instrumentation. They do that for half the chorus, and then bring it right back full-fledged to the chorus. It seems like that would be a good way to describe but, it. Another way, another way I, I would put it is that the idea is that, yeah, everything has just kind of simmered down for a moment. It seems as if the song is almost about to take a lighter turn. You're going to have a part B, and instead it's really just a momentary breather for you to just dive right back, right back into the chorus. And then there's always that, that just that slight little adjustment where the chorus might just be paused for a beat or something like that. And then, you know, or they'll stutter it just to make it a little bit more intense, slight little adjustments just to, just to, to vary it up but it, otherwise it's the same chorus right but in this case specifically when they come back to that chorus they take a half second pause yeah which is completely tropey at this point we've heard that in so many rock yeah, that's songs. essentially what and it can, be yeah, used, yeah. it can be used as but a great period it can be but here it's not here it was completely predictable and then went into something that we expected and up until that point i was really digging it that was just a little bit of a of a turn towards the end of the song on me which didn't quite cement it as, as a nice quirky piece it's it's weird because it was such a soft like beautiful breakdown for the duration that it lasted it was had this like super warm bass this the sound that just you know he while he's bringing singing very breathy and very soft in the background it just it felt like the kind of song that i wanted this to to become like to have a nice little binary or ternary structure but and eh, it was just a little bit fleeting for me and and that's also to follow the the hook that preceded it this strange little hook that's kind of been been in waiting, you know, right between the eyes, right between the eyes, and he hammers that out for a long time. So, I don't know, I, I had a hard time finding the identity of this track, and that was, that was my main issue with it. From there, we go straight into no pause, no soundbite, no nothing, into the next track, Jire. Which is track six, and it's a J sound, Jire. Like, As gyre. in Jire. Yeah, yeah. She, he pulled the French, uh, like with the apostrophe. Oh, gyre. Gyre. It, no, Jire. Well, not what you did. Jire. <laughs> okay. Who says gyrate? <laughs> I've heard it that way. You've heard it both ways? No, I've heard it that way. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> At least uh, he knows. Anyway, time. we get a a soft guitar with ominous background. It's almost like a Spanish guitar. It's oh, acoustic rock. Well, it's an acoustic guitar that does a well, great that's just job. silly, Matt. Oh, right, but synth-instrumental. Synth synth no, synth-instrumental's canon now. Oh, okay. That's right. There's I, that. I coined it. Um, right. But I would actually describe this, rather than just Spanish, I would lean back to, like, Simon and Garfunkel almost. Cause it this has, section. It yes. has that cleanness to it. It's, it's clearly acoustic, but it also, like... It's like Simon and Garfunkel goes post. Well, like, no, but also, there's a, a little bit of an ambient sound in the background that gives it this kind of ominous feel. It's not just it sounding does. like It's Simon the Garfunkel. tone between the steel acoustic 
combined with the way they're mixing it, which makes it sound as if it's under the magnifying glass and maybe also paired with an electric guitar. Can't confirm that, but I believe that might be what's going on. It keeps a little bit of something electronic in the background, and it, it feels like they've just reworked, rethought Simon and Garfunkel. And that's what was really cool about it. What Simon and Garfunkel, when they did things like Hello Darkness, My Old Friend, that was ominous, that was creepy, that was a little bit out there. They did it through the actual vocal work, but the guitars did not quite reflect it here. Well, not in not in a song like that, but there were plenty of Simon Garfunkel tracks where it's like, oh, spotlight guitar. Yes. Here, using that ominous backdrop, it sets it up so well for when they transform it to their modern metal sound. When they start integrating the rest of their band back into it, it does a great job of not losing the character of the acoustic guitar. So what's also interesting about this is that it's a mostly instrumental track. The only words we really get sound like a, a muffled or disjointed vocal recording, either from a TV or a radio, from like, and, and it it sounds almost like it could be um, Carl Sagan speaking over, like because it's yeah. very sciency. So the, the, the <laughs> lyrics, so it's, it's not just sciency. Okay, listen to this. You and I are all as much contiguous with the physical universe as a wave is continuous with the ocean, the ocean waves and the universe peoples. What you do is what the whole universe is doing at the place you call here and now. You are something the whole universe is doing in the same way that a wave is something the whole ocean is doing. That's deep. That is freaking cool. And it's It's an incredible choice to really just phase out of existence around this music. I do I do love the notion. It's also one of those strange things you have to kind of like reread it to really like let it sink in. You are something the whole universe is doing in the same way that a wave is something the whole ocean is doing. Okay, all right, took me a second for the analogy, but it makes sense. Sure. And I mean, obviously, there's a lot, endless analogies to the universe and to the ocean. The idea that everyone experienced the vastness and existential dread of feeling like you're alone in the universe, like you would feel when you were, you know, just traveling across the middle of the deep blue sea. Well, obviously, that's that's the universe. That's what we are, the, the pale blue dot to bring in Carl Sagan as you wanted to. <laughs> well, I'm led to say him because also it has that grainy quality. Like, it sounds like it's something an old VHS playing the audio or something. Yeah. Which is why I, I was led to him as opposed to the newer version of Cosmos with Neil deGrasse Tyson, which would be much crisper. <laughs> Carl Sagan on Betamax. <laughs> exactly. And then about midway, after the guitar really does take that Spanish that I was talking about and the modernized elements come in, there is a... Sort of. Well, there's a long instrumental. Yeah, it's not quite a solo, but it was very close. And what was very interesting is that at the very end of the song, I thought it was a waltz. A 3-8 kind of a waltz. I believe it's more of a 6-8 thing. But actually, see, it's weird because it starts out, I think, very clearly in 4. But then there's a very, like, strange shift where it doesn't immediately go to 6-8. There's, like, a little bit of a stutter there. There's a little extra beat. I'm not 100% sure on this. They, They really try to keep you on your toes through it because in the process you would feel the guitars initially like playing the duplets of the 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 triple meter that you're in which would be six eight and then you feel the duplet of the two for the first three and then the two for the last three and i just love that feels intensely spanish also very much uh because of the tone as well um even the the little and that they would throw in there this whole like one two three and four 
five, six, one, two, three, and four, five, six. And you feel this, again, against the, the other simultaneous rhythm going on. And combined with the fact that it's a very wet mix, it feels very flowing and somewhat existential in the process, uh, also take into account the lyrics, I just... I loved the fact that they stuck with this for the long haul. It was this was not there was no return here. This didn't pull the little cliche that we have been citing where they oh we're gonna get the chorus again. Nope, they just they they let us out into the abyss. And it it's kinda curious because by the end of it, when it really does seem like it becomes a straight up waltz because instead yeah, because of having it, it, a six count and it instead does of having like that extra three. beat that I'm not sure what was yeah, available it's, it's in the middle it's a very they... solid three count to it going on right there that you could count in a six that's the nature of this sort of stuff but <laughs> it, it does a great job of kind of cementing it you go from the you know the out there the outer space the vastness the ocean all the stuff they got across and it grounds it back into reality for me. It brings me back home so that I kind of know where I am again. Yeah. And it's a great journey that yeah. I was on. We did, of course, mention that a, a gyre, if you're just saying gyre alone, means a vortex, right? Yeah. And, yeah. like, the, this kind of idea of a vortex or a black hole in space kind of feel is, I think, what this is going for. And I think it gives that, aesthetically, it does give that setting, like you're floating in space, but kind of in wonderment, not in horror or fear it's definitely in a one a, a wonderment towards space it set a bar i think for this record that i wanted them to return to <laughs> yeah and, and they they take a break from this bar for a little while but we'll get more on that the next track however track seven the matthew effect which sadly has nothing to do with me um <laughs> is uh i hope not <laughs> yeah Happily. <laughs> happily, actually, I should say. Um, uh, it, it just So well, this is probably one of the most violently aggressive songs on the album. It's, For sure, it takes lyrically. A while to, it takes a while to get explicitly violent, but it seems like, at first glance, just listening to the words, I thought it was an older brother pissed off at his new younger brother for being born because now he's not the center of attention. And it actually seemed extremely deep. But in the long haul, it became a message of... Being upset at those with privilege who don't realize the privilege they have. I like the message that gets sent through here. Which, of course, could go with your notion, the idea that That's it's a little one, brother and you just hate yes. that little brother so much. But uh, in, it's not the way I was when I was your age. It, in some ways, it also gets turned on its head because if I took it that way, it's also the person in privilege no longer has it and is now upset at those that took this power from them. So it's got another layer that you could delve into. It's it's great message-wise. I enjoy the lyrics, so like we said, they do get violent. But at the same time... Well, look at some of these lyrics. They have a real chip on their shoulder. You've been sucking tit, asleep in your cradle. Given the world, you're still ungrateful. You bitch and whine. You're always entitled. You blame mommy and daddy. You think you're Jesus Christ. I mean, God, <laughs> that's... It's That's dripping the definition with rage. of a chip on his shoulder. But it's I also, mean... musically and lyrically, is very focused, too. This is not something that kind of goes all over the place or strays or leads to wonder. This is very upfront and very much, it is what it is. It's not trying to obscure what it's saying. Well, here's the thing. This this really does return, it should be said, just as far as general style uh, comparisons, this kind of returns that thing of like, all right, the heavier brand of rock in the last 15 years. All right. It's, it's kind of been done before, and it's kind of, it's full of anger, yes, but also like fret and worry whenever you ramp up the guitars to this level again. And it, it's a little bit of a problem that I have with this style, because I almost feel like this could be accomplished 
I don't know, through some kind of different approach. I wasn't entirely getting it unless you really just focused completely 100% on these lyrics. You read it and it, it feels like extremely angry poetry, but, um, you know, to hear it, it it's, it's more just the, the chorus, the I'll be breaking, 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 I'll be sucking, suck, I don't know, it, it just lost them. It, it becomes this almost a little bit of a pointless anthem, like they're just making an anthem out of, I don't know, anger and going crazy in the broad, and I want to I wanna hone in on the specifics. The, the bass was very enjoyable. But that gets lost as each verse builds. And that was one of my, my sad parts of this track. As each verse builds to the chorus, it grows in complexity. That's fine. That's great. I mean, you're doing something. But even going from the complexity of the end of the verse to the chorus, it was like it was walled off. It was an inserted wall of sound that started the chorus that really did jump a little bit too much too quickly and became kind of noisy. I feel like, though, that instrumentally is reflecting exactly emotionally what it's trying to pursue of course i I addressed that it's almost like uh copy and pasting like you could just apply the same exact type of music to a completely different story that may be involved with the same anger but i don't really feel the specific story in other words just it's a little bit generalized for me and i want to you know i wanted him to get into this idea of entitlement and it's, it's an interesting idea it's not the greatest lyrics in the world it does get a little silly with that uh that chorus, I'll be breaking, breaking, breaking your pride. You're sucking, sucking, sucking me dry. <laughs> One day you'll realize you're no Jesus Christ. I don't know. It's just, it's just a little bit. Like I almost sense that there's some some juvenile quality coming out of of the vocalist himself, yeah. or at least from the, the the character here, yeah. which would almost be like, well, you're one to talk. Sure, but I think that also is kind of intentional from a messaging standpoint. Even even if that's how it's being conveyed, I think that's definitely well. There's there's certain aspects like the the little stutters that they throw in the drum work. Another this is another example of solid rhythm section, solid drum work yeah. going on. But it's just uh, it wasn't enough expansion because the guitars don't really do it for me in the long haul. Well, and also that that keep on reintroduction style just it was a little bit too much. But also to my point about you know the the juvenile quality of it, I will say this, and this did kind of work in its favor as far as a musical element that 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 spoke to the message. The fact that the vocals really really reached like his height again, that alto register, not really falsetto. They didn't I, quite scream that, either. And, that and, was yeah, a thing. Not screaming, not falsetto, but alto he's just he's just in an extremely high register and it makes it sound almost a little bit childish which actually does kind of work in its favor so you know pluses and minuses let's go to track eight i'll be okay somehow i don't believe you <laughs> you don't believe him right yeah well, more specifically well um, here's the thing i liked this intro so i adored this intro maybe i'm a sap but this this softer stuff is what really really gets me um it was more again in the same line of the coheed and cambria stuff the mars volta stuff but also the post-rock stuff that's why you know scale the summit was so amazing to me it's this is this is where i'm at totally ambient and post-rock in the beginning well it has that electronic but euphoric feel that i think we got hints at with moments of electronic in other tracks but they kind of really build it out here in this intro and let you kind of fall into it you know what i'd describe it as i'd say they're using the guitar as a character here and not a whitewash yeah it was so lightly touched it was beautifully done. It was smooth. It was an incredible smooth. Even though it was uh, heavy plucking, heavy strum, it wasn't just like sounds that they was producing. It was clear cut. The The way it was balanced into the rest of the music, especially the thumping rhythm, the very yeah. heartbeat kind of a rhythm that's going on, mm-hmm. it, did a, it did a great job of just like, 
putting all the jagged edges along the same path. Even after the intro, too, by the time it gets around like 38 seconds, it's still the the, the bulk of this is... Through the verse, still straight through the through verse. Through the verse, very gentle, very sweet. Uh, even, even I'd go so far as to say romantic. Let me just read the beginning here. We live in the rain, a sea of change. You can't keep anything you take. The lovely face of lives we chase is but dust for wind to take. When all is gone, the only loss is to not have loved at every cost. When you can say, and I can say, we loved with every step we take. I'll be okay. The lyrics have sold me that he will, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. But... Why, why, what are your but, skepticism, Matt? So the song does eventually pick up and get a lot heavier. It, it doesn't stay in that soft, kind of mellow place. And I think that's why I feel like he's not going to. Because then it sounds like that old sound from the previous track is drudging up. The breakdown is much heavier. The chorus, once again, seems to be a focal point of my problems. Because while the build throughout the verse led to the chorus, I think the chorus was just a little bit too heavy for the message. And then we go straight into the same sort of build to chorus, twice more. This was an issue for me. I did not want to hear the same thing over and over again, especially in that second verse when the smooth guitar was lacking, was starting to become a non-entity. Yeah, this, I mean, I'm not entirely, like, I, I feel like there is a, a, the point is a little bit behind this, and you get that in the lyrics of the chorus, too, as well. How do you love when your heart is broken? How do you speak when you feel outspoken? I can forgive and be forgiven by learning to heal with a heart wide open. There's a resolution, but also kind of a, a, a little bit of a, like, questions, questions. Yeah. Like, how am I really supposed to deal with this, you know? Um... There's a resolution behind it, but it feels like yeah, it's a long road you have to take in order to get there, which is why I do think uh, Matt's correct. There's some some skepticism is apt, and when you're screaming out, especially as he does uh, for the the ultimate uh, the, the, in this chorus here, you have the backdrop. I'll be okay. That 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 deal where like the second vocalist is is just screaming. I'll be okay. You know, over while the the, the main vocalist is actually singing the the, the primary lyrics sort of just like this little cloud hanging over your head or just this thing you keep telling yourself in the back of your mind I will be okay I will I will I will maybe you will but maybe you won't it's a good artistic choice it's just the execution didn't wow it for me yeah I it, feel like it borders borderlines on denial though and I think that's where where I feel like he won't be okay because it's almost like if you're you're shouting in the back of your mind you're almost denying it also I feel like the outro to this track like the intro is like I wanted to hear that song I didn't yeah the outro was pretty cool really really good yeah it's techno pops and everything it's just like I wanted the the, the bit in between was okay but besides the lyrics being beautiful instrumentally I wanted more of the intro and outro than what we got in the middle bit absolutely the integration of those electronic pieces probably would have been awesome frankly like straight up awesome but then we get an interesting thing with track nine here's to heartache as if it's sort of the answer to well what do you do when you say you're gonna go and be okay you almost go out and well you have a toast with your friends you'll you'll almost applaud the fact that it's done and you're moving on or at least just trying to at best you know quell it and forget about it this takes the pace back a bit but it starts to show off their harmonies still kind of tried and true but their harmonies are still really solid this, this is, is a track that's also in six uh lots of emphasis in that one two three four five six and that back and forth this little swaying nature is almost like you can feel the the beer steins just swaying in the background you know here's to the heartache and that's your toast while we're getting some of the better vocals of the album like the harmonies really did touch a chord for me 
the content was just a little bit too light because it really does come off as a drinking song and not one of those deep, like, good story drinking songs or one say, of those insightful drinking songs. This was just kind of like a drinking song. And also, thank God they didn't go full Irish. Like, like just change up their whole sound to, like, pull the trope of the actual Irish drinking song. This is Irish Goes Metal. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> you only hear it within the rhythm and the sway and the lyrics. Uh, other than that, they've pretty much made it their own. And I, I think it was an appropriate place for it but this uh, was it was very much to the t they were emulating it so forcefully that even when it gets to the solo the solo was was fun but it was so short so just a little interlude before we get back into the main chorus of the song that it wasn't you well do you mean really the, expanded the segment where it just kind of like recedes in the into the background where it gets a little bit softer yeah yeah when it becomes like a, an interlude slash solo kind of an idea that was actually kind of my favorite part of it it was honest. it was as well yeah. but it's fleeting a lot of this stuff ends up becoming a little fleeting it is for us. fleeting but it it's so it's so light and so delicate here i i was really digging i actually thought that it it's almost as if he instead of finally getting up and you know grabbing the stein, the beer stein with your friends, now all of a sudden you're just sort of actually shedding the tears a little bit and maybe letting it out before finally returning to, you know, because obviously you have to get that return. Here, this is this is still a pretty formulaic track in that regard, and that, you know, we return to the main chorus. Here's to the dark days. It's been a long wait. Um, which is actually different lyrics, but it's still the, the same gist. We'll drink to all the years, the tears that led to this place. Yeah. That's that's why it wasn't really hooking me. The chorus wasn't really anthemic for me. It was. Oh, I thought it was just, actually. I just. Uh, it's well, just not okay. the end it of was, the world as far as like. It wasn't anthemic go. as in it was something that was part of my anthem. It was anthemic in that I think they were trying to go for that anthem. I'll say this: it's a cliche, but I'm not critical of it in this case. From here we go to the next track, "If I Were," and this song, just putting it out there was a little bit of a mind freak out for me because what they're talking about in the song made me regard the song this way. So the song starts with a essentially what you would expect from the band at this juncture, you know, heavy riffs, but it's muffled. The sound sounds like it's kind of coming through a tube or through a pillow. Yeah. And then, of course, it's followed by those same riffs, but at full volume without the muffled sound. There's definitely a sweetness in this track um, added to the fact, you know, that yes, it is still on top of the same riffs, but it there's something interesting in this track, considering when we get to the chorus, he begins with the lines, if I were God, sort of filling out the incomplete title, if I were, well, if I were God, just for a day, I would be guilty of letting the whole world slip away. I wouldn't change. No, I wouldn't change a thing. I'd leave the mistakes. I'd take the blame. And I'll use the chance to keep you just the same, if I were, if I were God, just for a day. Which is an interesting hypothetical. Of course, if he was God, this is apparently how he sees the world. Through the lens of saying, you know... The whole fate concept, like if you, the anger, the inherent anger in that if you made me, well, then who's that on? (laughs) Except this isn't backed up by the the verses. The verses are just about holding on too tight to not let anything change, to keep the world as stagnant as possible. But it's not presented to me in the sort of way that's sweet, like, you know, not wanting the moment to end. This is just, I don't want anything to change. It's a little bit forceful, a little bit creepy. And it's kind of reflected in the music itself. Well... In the composition. Verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Interlude. 
with a chorus half echo followed by another outro of the chorus. It's the same exact formula that they used in the previous track. It's something that I alluded to in previous song early on, that that this outro was going to be a a little bit cliche in uh, track five, First Punch. It left me numb that way. It left me just, oh, we're getting, we're getting, here's to the heartache again. Yeah, I I feel exactly what you're feeling in terms of the musical progression of this track. Um, I, I guess I was just kind of trying to get up and th- get into the notion of of what he's getting at no, here that because chorus, we have so many disparate themes. Um, and that because chorus was so cool, and that's the that's the bigger problem. But and for because me. you were looking at the idea of like, well, if you're addressing, you know, if I were God, there's also the the split to the. Uh, to the approach to this track, the idea that they approached it in such a sweet manner, and we did do this a little bit out of order. I, I'll repeat the beginning here. Just tell me, just tell me how to keep this, and I'll be all right. Just tell me, tell me what's the secret, and I'll hold it tight. Because I don't want to spend another moment without you again. Just tell me, tell me how to keep this so it never ends. That's how he begins. That that's That's really the initial sentiment, and that's why it starts out so sweet, which is why it's so, I think, it's powerful in its own way that he switches all of a sudden to a much more larger theological uh, hypothesis and that he's so worried about losing that one thing that he has, the one thing he can hold really, really close to him and put so much weight on its shoulders is that he all of a sudden starts thinking about it in the grander sense and, you know, sort of blaming, you know, the, the highest power for, for the loss, which is, to me, a, a rather nice sentiment, despite all of the, the musical points that you raise, which I think are 100% but, apt. But verse 2 is the, really the, 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 the crux of when it starts losing me. Don't tell me, don't tell me how it changes. It's you I can't replace. Don't tell me, tell me that we're hopeless. I can learn from my mistakes. Because I don't want to spend another moment with you again. Without you again. This is forceful, where the first verse was not. There is definitely a different slant going on right here. And then when the chorus comes back in, there's a different light on it for me. This change in light shows that it it went from sweet to something a little soured. And having it then go into the trope of interlude, half chorus, chorus, outro hurt me a lot because it it didn't save it. It didn't bring it back from that kind of darker tone that they set in that second verse. I just don't feel like we're getting anything in track 10 that we haven't gotten in other tracks on the album. At the core of it, yeah, that's that's why I don't really like the track. The yeah, chorus could have I... been something amazing, I think. But also, like, not even that we've gotten before on this album, but this is the part of this band that's been done before, possibly to death, even with the intricacies. And so, because I've heard it before from other bands, and then I've heard it before on this album, at this point, I'm just inclined to go, Yeah, you weren't, yeah, you weren't lively when we were listening to this one. No. Um, from here we go to... I will say, I will say this, though. But right before, oh, before we, we go, go on, into the on, okay. th- this is the thing. I believe that there is a split between uh, the two manners in which you might hear this album. Of course, yes. one being like, you know, all right, on, on speakers, like, played low, or then also being on your headphones. I believe this is a headphone album, which is interesting, considering I made that point about them being, you know, for the live setting in the beginning. But, of course, the live setting, you get it full force. You get it, you get it hitting you from every angle. And while, for the most part, I don't believe in the defense of uh, the loudness war, which we've often 
cited as being a problem, I think, and the fact that everyone just wants everything loud all the time. It does depend on the type of music. It depends on the approach. I believe this music is, is, is written to really just immerse yourself in and play at higher volumes and, and so you can pick out all the details when suddenly it can maybe overtake you in the fact that it's not the most wildly different track from the previous, but still it has its points and you can hear the lyrics clear, you can hear the theme, the melody reaches out, it has its power. And this is coming from someone who I don't even think this was necessarily my tastes back in the day. You know, if you this were to be played within the last 15 years, like 2005, eh, I would have probably glossed over it in lieu of other things, more alt-rock things that were out at the time. That said, though, this really, I, I see where, where it was coming from, even back then. I see what you're saying. I just, still, how I feel about this track is how I feel. I hear what you're saying, though. Yeah. And it makes sense. I just, I don't have anything to add to that. I just still feel where I am. Yeah, no, I know, and maybe I do too. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just making that point about um, about acoustics because yeah. you know it's something that should should be brought up. We sometimes just view the, the album and we discuss albums uh, in sort of the vacuum of of uh, the content itself, and it will always depend on how it's heard. And I believe that is an inherent flaw in what you're describing: the idea that they can sound the same if they are just like played at a certain volume. It can sound like a whitewash, and then you won't pick out the detail. There might be some inherent problems in that. So let's go to track 11, Friendly Fire. Because this actually reached even further back in time for me. This reached back to the 90s with this, like, grunge guitar in the very beginning. Much heavier on, like, every single beat, really emphasizing it. Um, And I can say that in the verses, it does go back to showing off his... uh, More coheed is the only way I can describe it, falsetto again. It's, It's... it's probably my most one of my more enjoyable elements at the, about this band, maybe second to uh, the the post rock guitar, which we get in fleeting elements. The bass, I think the bass was full, back there, full huh? force here as well. It was another element that, honestly, introduction for Friendly Fire thought I was getting the same thing again, and I would have raged at that point. But there's a livelier guitar going on. There's a, a more solid and playful bass going on. It was in a similar vein but it broke up the formula enough that i wasn't just going oh verse chorus verse chorus bridge i think with this song the the thing that i that really got to me is the way it started and like steve mentioned the the way the guitar kind of was very grungy very 90s almost the the vocals too when they come in also mimic that style but it was very engaging from the moment it started it reminded me of band three day three days grace who were huge in the uh, late 90s, early aughts, as they say. Um, And I think that because of that kind of familiarity, since they are a band I like, it kind of drew me in. Um, And also on top of that, it felt more complex than what we'd gotten in the previous two tracks. So we're getting a little more variety again. Yes and no. I I don't know if I was completely sold on this track. Um, The the verse or rather the chorus the whole friendly fire you know that, on the second beat oh, yeah. always but that is a big issue with me that's one of the biggest detractors on this piece yeah. itself it, it was like a weaker from the melodic standpoint yeah and it wasn't really something i wanted to sing along even though it was so simple and it was attempting at really just getting in my head it it didn't engage me as far as the chorus was concerned it wasn't the crux of the chorus it wasn't the only piece of it but it was the major part of the chorus work. Well, I think I'm looking at this song also a little bit through rose-colored glasses because I really did enjoy the bridge on this song. And so that's... That's where the bass started shining. That's where the guitar really got We lively. got that open and rising mm-hmm. guitar work. And, and then the way it kind of gives way at the end to just into two bars and then ends and then goes into the rest of the song. It kind of gives the structure. You have this somewhat fleeting, but 
very succinct moment in the song that was very engaging, even if the chorus did seem a little hokey. And lyrically, we have sort of this strange dismissiveness of his own metaphors, his own, his own analogies. I don't care about the story. I don't care about the myth. I don't care how you see my life. You haven't witnessed it. Use fear as a weapon and pity as a whip. Convince everyone around that I'm a piece of, well... <laughs> but it, the, the interesting thing here is his, his the metaphor that he's sort of saying he doesn't care about, I believe, is really more the... The whole story of Judas. I mean, that's what this keeps going back to. My Judas, my brother. So you think it's your place, and you think you're so brave. Shit-slinging, I'll tell you now what I see. A child's insecurity projecting from the sidelines. A critic, a voice that won't admit it. That you'd have never risked it. How vicarious, the cynic. My Judas, my brother. It's at this time where I started thinking... <laughs> Maybe you had something going there, John. The earlier saying, song. My brother. I mean, of course, yes. If you're going in, obviously the, the the story of Judas. Then it's like, yeah, everyone back then said, oh, my brother, my brother. You know, the apostles. They're all brothers. Um, but I don't know if that's the context here. It might actually be. It's just close it might friend. add more yeah. uh, validity to the Matthew effect and the fact that it might be actually referring to an actual brother. It that, seems that like his name is Matthew. <laughs> that's a little on the nose. The whole thing is Matthew effect to hear friendly fire thematically or not thematically arc wise of the album is very concretely one specific style but the next track sex and lies does a really different thing and sort of gives us our third act for the album it also started off with a similar kind of soundbite as we heard uh, about two weeks ago back in AWOL Nation's run, this idea of using phone calls to your advantage. And in this case, you know, it, it's kind of strong for the album because we really haven't gotten a lot of this on the album that really brings the story to, to reality. When you hear phone calls, it's something non-musical and you expect something from it. But it's not a, not a voicemail like we received then. Uh, now it's actually just that whole, you know, recording that everyone has heard. The number you have dialed has been changed. The new number is, which it, is really, really indicative of a falling out. But it also starts with a dial tone before that even, too. So you really get put in this place of a person making a phone call. Like, it's conveying yeah. well, that. Yeah. Yes. But I'm saying it's not just the message. It has the dial tone to set mm -hmm. it up as well. From there, we actually get into a lot of heavy guitar-drum combination that we kind of got throughout the rest of the album. But A little more playful this yes, time. Yes, and it works well with the extremely manic verse style that goes on here. The vocals drop in, drop out. It's not a call and response. It's someone who can barely keep his words together. This is... I was actually really, really into the vocals here. The, oh, the, yeah. The, the, yeah, the call and response deal between the left ear, right ear, starting with black dress, white lies. Different vocalists, it seems. Loose friends and some cheap wine. I've always been so trusting, my dear. A back room on your backside. I'm backstabbed as you backslide. Your knees are always bruised and red, dear. But I've never been the one to doubt. But I wonder, wonder, wonder. I want to hear it from the whore horse's mouth. Which is pretty good writing, even though it's still pretty on the nose. I, I kind of like that that little shift right there. And then, finally, we just get the, I caught you sleeping around. It's pretty clear. You had me fooled until now. It's over. We're over. And I'm done. And literally, sleeping around, the music, as you described, this whole playful air, actually, because it's so jumping around constantly, it, it gives me the air of promiscuity, like through music. I think also for me, though, with this song is the thing that breaks up the song and kind of gives it this almost schizophrenic, promiscuous feeling. Mm -hmm. Even though, personally, I didn't really enjoy it, it broke up 
the repetitiveness we were seeing in previous tracks, so we were getting something new, which I did like. And it did engage me at least enough to stay interested. It's, the verses were great, and the bridge that comes was, like, just powerful. But the chorus is kind of plateaued for me because it lost the the vocal quality that I was intrigued with. No, this is actually an era where I was most intrigued by just that first verse, the whole black dress, white lies. I mean, just not just between the, the call and response deal between the left ear, right ear. It was really more about the, the falsetto is just at its peak at this moment, especially when he gets to that line, loose friends and cheap wine, I've always been so trusting my dear. And he's, he's playing around with it as if he's almost taunting you know, the other person. I've always been so trusting, and he's just, his teeth are grinding at this moment. I also don't want to ignore instrumentally the bridge in this song, because I feel like this is one of the first times on the album the bridge actually takes its time. It doesn't rush through or jump back to a chorus or a half chorus. It, or do- quick rise. it does, technically. Well, well, but it takes its time and expands upon something that was pretty and still within the framework of what the song was doing it wasn't just a token dropout for token's sake that i kind of felt some of the other ones were this this felt like the proper breather especially coupled with this very manic thing that's going on prior to it yeah i agree it was a nice breather um and then in addition to that it's it, the whole the playfulness does continue throughout the rest of the track you get this like little triplet 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 feel every or at least the triplet on the on the the one and the three mainly uh within this rhythmic structure but i don't know there's, there's something that maybe didn't stick out as far as the progression of the track i feel like it showed all its cards in the beginning and that was it was, it was basically it but still very fun i mean it was definitely more engaging than we were getting previously in the middle part of this album and it does lead well into track 13 surface flames and by i mean lead well it leads well in the sense that we're get we're starting to get something else here and it gives way to a song that at its core a techno electronica song it's got it, it i mean just through and through that's what this is it almost has more in common with trance than it does really the acid techno and it's and it's, it's hinting at stuff it's it's culminating with stuff that was hinted in previous tracks now we're getting a full-fledged song of what they showed us they could do in moments it's sort of like a scat techno style well yeah there was a little was a lot more uh, scatterbrained at the end and it felt very much like like you were in a video game but at the same time it also was seemed very danceable for the bulk of it it but well actually i would actually i refute both of those i don't feel i didn't feel (laughs) video game i didn't feel danceable it felt like their version done techno it felt like heavy metal techno. Yeah, no, it's not out of... I don't the think it's out of the album in any way because yeah. this has been there pretty much ever since the beginning. It's They've had that element. It was one of the first things we noted uh, that they had a lot of electronic infusion. It just seems like this is more of a, I don't know, a full exposition based on those tools. And it also has a callback lyrically. It's a, a repetition of friendly fire lyrics and yep. things like that, which really does cement the idea that Sex and Lies was sort of like the intermission or connection point from the second to third act and this is you know rather that that was the climax I or feel in the many climax ways. of the second act because there he's very yeah. upfront with you know his grievances here we're getting a a full-fledged third act of this play and having a little bit of callback but showing something really new does a lot to really set me at ease at the anger i kind of developed in this second act <laughs> from here we go to Take a Bullet, which also introduces the song with a sort of underwater version of this electronic element. But that itself sort of previews the tone that we get throughout the song as it goes into 
the metal again. Well, well, I noticed infused that metal, that rock element, with the whole acid techno thing. Like, it's it continues on the same pattern, and then it just reintroduces that. It has a unique structure, though, comparatively to, again, earlier parts of the album. What I like about this is it takes that electronica, it builds on it, it we get the heavy rock element integrated more heavily. Even in the words, I saw what I kind of term as the war they had between the loud parts and the silent parts. Yeah. Silence is your enemy because you're afraid that we'll all see. Silence, the more you speak, the less I believe you plant words like weeds. Scream loud, you'll never fool me. Sing out, you'll never fool me. Hear now, you'll never fool me. Do you see how fake you sound? <laughs> that back and forth is very well mirrored in the actual music itself. The, the, the way it goes between the highs and the lows. And then the low part, it actually has a lot more density that you really would think would be there. The, the actual instrumentation is very enjoyable, but the high parts became a little washed out. Um, yeah, I guess I'm inclined to, to agree with that. There's a lot of parts here where I feel like my favorite element was solely on the acid techno elements. I liked how scattered it was, but it, as Matt said, it, it, it really does flow. It feels like maybe this is, at being the third act, it feels like it's kind of farther down the rabbit hole as far as the, uh, as far as the damage takes him. Well, um, but there, you get some cliches in that route, which I feel like we've already, he's already been so on the nose about it that, you know, maybe he can't really hammer it home with lines like, your lips are poison and sweet, but love doesn't come cheap. Talk is nothing to me. Take a bullet from me. Maybe then I'll believe. I don't know. I'm just not buying a lot of these lyrics. There's some, some cliche writing within it. I suppose, but it's conveying the correct emotion at this point in the arc, I <laughs> the feel. The correct emotion. I like that. Well, I would say based on the arc that we see, it's correct in the respect that he's now more jaded, less angry, and just more jaded. And, and after... I know personally when I rage, especially if it's something very life-related or threatening or, or personal, you tend to become almost apathetic or, or indifferent, and you kind of go down this path. And so I Yet think you have those bursts of high energy, of those manic leanings that I think the chorus tries to come across, and I think that's probably the biggest failing of this track is the chorus doesn't really hit the high manic levels for me, definitely not in the manic of the previous tracks. Here it was. It was just a solid opener for this this third act. A solid like entry point because the next track, Jenny, really does something that's frankly special for this album. It it has some of the best vocals I think on the album. Uh, he's going all out. He's using his vibrato. He's he's really singing this time. Not to imply that he wasn't doing that earlier, but you don't get the screaming here. You don't get the um of the the high like just alto thing he's not out of his register he feels very much in his register and he's doing everything with it it almost is like he's he's being just a little bit more natural and speaking to us well what i like about this song also is that it moves slower like some of the other previous slower tracks but the vocals feel more emotional more sincere and also the transitions from verse to chorus feel very natural even though it builds to a, a, a bit of a heavier piece. It, it, it feels natural. It was one of the more flows. incredible builds. I and think. it earns it. And when it stays there in the second verse, I love it where it's at. I love that. Even it, I don't even care if it had been something that was just what's going to be in the previous tracks that I had issues with, or if it was a tropey way to do it. The build, to, to go from this kind of noir-oriented guitar with uh, a synth undertone 
the clear vocals, the great bass, as this transition builds to the chorus, and it gets high, and it stays high, but this heights that it reach, so awesome, just pure awesome to really hear everything coming together as opposed to being built on top of one another. It deserves to stay right where it is, and I love that it doesn't it doesn't try to do a tropey rebuild over and over and over again of the low to high. It it doesn't drop down nearly as far as it did in that second verse. And it feels earnest. It feels so beautiful for it. Well, it put me in a strange territory because I also had, had by this point, I think, come to really appreciate uh, their more playful verses and choruses. Um, even despite the fact that we described them as being a little bit tried and true, I think that their just the the way they were written were really, really solid. And I was having fun in the middle stretch of this album, um, maybe even despite some of our critiques. And then here they're trying to do something completely different in this third act and turn it into more of an expanded art piece. And I was just in a strange place with it because I feel like internally I'm saying, all right, everything is going well now. Where The the album is, is actually taking on a more mature air, but I was still losing some of those hooks that, that uh, weren't reaching out to me in the same vein. So, I don't know, it's, again, another little plus and minus. I feel like, though, it's stronger here it than is it probably then. Yeah, it is probably objectively stronger. <laughs> it's the content, really, as well. A lot of the anger is gone. This is more... It's, it's, a, it's a person talking to, I'm assuming, a sister or, or, or maybe a daughter something like that, talking about how a mother held on just to be able to stay with her for a little bit longer. Yeah. In spite of the pain, in spite of considering how protractive it is, I'm guessing a cancer type of a situation that was just a long, arduous task. And it does a great job for me to just paint you know, the sorrowful beauty that's associated with that. Seems like it's more of a drug rehab situation, but... Um. Well, no, Jenny's the one going through the drug rehab. The mother's the one oh, that went yeah. through the cancer. Her I last mean, painful year. There's just you. not happiness. It's yeah. the antithesis of happiness But it's not right aggressive or angry. Yes, it's sad, it's, it's, it's pleading, it's it's a little melodramatic, but it, it earns it for me. Okay, now we go to probably my favorite title on the album, track 16, God Went North. Actually, everybody's favorite title, Everyone's if I'm not mistaken. Favorite, everyone's yeah. favorite title, okay, I and can say, also, I safely say that. But this, I need to emphasize this before we even, like, approach the lyrics or approach the music itself, because I feel like this album, I mean, this title, God Went North, could almost be, like, my favorite title to my favorite album. It feels like an entire exposition in itself. The idea that God went north, he left, and that you actually picked a cardinal direction that this, you know, being would travel in in order to leave you. And it returns to some of the theological uh, pivots that he's had as we go through this record. Various little elements where I think he's left in in a state of questioning and certainly a state of, of, uh, of despair. This song is the first of two tracks on the album, the final two tracks, that have the strongest atmospheric setting of all. I mean, it starts with this intro that sounds like winds blowing, and you're like in a, a strong snow or blizzard in the tundra of the Great White North. Like a whirring and a phasing at the it's, same it's time. It's really doing a, a, a desolation piece, but there's a walking beat and something that almost sounds like a piano, but is actually a guitar that... Is an interesting spot for it to be located in. It's a tonal area that I would really is it, pretty. See, I would describe it just again as that that sort of post rock sound where everything is just a little bit tinnier, but oh, it's filled with warmth, which gives it the illusion of a piano. It is. It gives it yeah. that that sort of gray area for it. 
it is a great lyrical experience as well. It's probably some of the strongest lyrics we've had in, honestly, a month or two. Well, the hospi- fact that, well, obviously the fact no, that you I have brought up the theme have in the back, in the last track. A hospital bed, a room filled with flowers, every monitor beep keeps the time. And then the actual beeping uh, synth work comes back in. It was absent, comes back in and starts paralleling it. As I count down the hours, the petals they weep, they're uprooted like me, cut from the cord of their mother who created everything. And then there's silence, and in, the, in a beautiful pleading voice we get, if you won't save her, please just take her away. And that moment was when I went, oh. That's the first time where actually it, he actually starts speaking to the higher power as the you directly, as opposed to just the hypotheticals and the if, and then all of a sudden here he's at his wit's end, might as well employ the, you know, the call to prayer. And it also, I feel like, really supports this kind of emotionality that's bursting through this track. It's strangely haunting, yet at the same time peaceful. And I think that comes from this messaging of, you know, that you don't want someone to suffer anymore, and if they're going to be in pain, then just take them instead. And it just, it it, it has a, a, a very distinct sadness that's not not angry, aggressive, or immature. This is a very mature perspective on this kind of a thing. As it goes on, we get, She pulls me close, says that she loves me, that she wishes to still be around on the day that I marry. Tightly she holds me, but the plan still unfolds, cutting the cord from the mother who gave me everything. If you won't save her, please just take her. Nothing breaks her away from the promise of a better day. And then it goes into a a bridge section of this is your moment of glory over and over and over again with a hallelujah thrown at the end. Like this is really a coming to terms song. And and considering everything that came before it, structurally especially and and, and, uh, narratively on the record, it really does show an evolution for the album that you wouldn't really see if you didn't focus on the lyrics here. Well, it started to remind me actually of the album we did uh, by... Sufjan Stevens, Carrie and Lowell, which was mm-hmm. exclusively exclusively about the death of his mother, and and it brought me back to those sentiments, mm-hmm. you know. And it also felt like this time the music was serving to provide the same impact. And it's especially gets impactful when in the outro there's a repetition of "I'll hold you till the end" that gets done over and over again, but it's done and starts fading out, and we get a choir. Ah, is coming in, uh, sort yes, of uplifting it, sort of really trying to project an idea of like, I guess, grace onto this track, it, which it, really does a, honestly, before I heard the next track, I thought this should be the ending. Right. And also, like, I think that's where the, the strongest haunting slash peaceful nature of the song comes through, because this chorus of angels, if you will, don't sound angelic. They're very deep voices. It feels masculine. It doesn't feel, you know, a lot of angelic courses often feel feminine or very, at least very light and airy, and this didn't. So it's kind of a more realistic, down to earth, like, this is dread, but this is also good. And I, I, I just love the way that, that it wraps up the track. Yeah, it's almost like he was trying to pull a little shift on that on that notion of, uh, well, if, if the angels are not coming to take you away, because I still feel like there's a lot of doubt in this album, you know, mm-hmm. the concept of, of, you know, it may feel like God went north and left you to be, but all you need to know is that you have everything you need. It's just the blink of an eye until the next time we meet, I'll hold you till the end. I'll hold you till you're free, as if almost he's the one that is actually sending her off. Um we're not, not sure that's that's the intent, but it's like warp the angelic effect to bring it down to something slightly more worldly. I don't know. 
but it was it was very powerful and everything about this the the tone the, the post rock feel the way the chord progressions move it's almost as if I wasn't like really prepared to discuss the tail end of this album in 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 such a manner I mean, otherwise I would have done chord breakdowns and such <laughs> but you know it's up until this point it's been you know, pretty status quo but here they whew, they another, some, another plane. Yeah, and then we get Pyre, which honestly, oh, track boy. seventeen, the final track. Sir, first three minutes, I was angry at Pyre because Pyre's ten minutes long. Okay, so the first I was I was loving it. The first three minutes, <laughs> you would. This also, this song has a very strong setting. We get wind over an open plane. It's almost a white noise of a wasteland setting, and it lasts. This ambient noise or sound, rather, not noise, but sound lasts for almost three minutes. Then at around 2 minutes and 50 seconds, you can start hearing an audio recording that's spoken start to come in. Similar to our Galaxy stuff earlier in sound, it sounds a little distant, but you hear someone starting to talk. Um, and then it's, it's kind of really pushing this desolation, this emptiness. And I want to explain my experience over the course of those three minutes because this is another area where I have to go back to acoustics. I think this is actually the area where maybe John's little, you know, hinted at anger might apply if you were, let's say, on the headphones. On the headphones, actually, maybe this can try your patience a little bit. Um, you know, I had that experience. Like, my, like the little bit of an eye roll being like, all right, this is a long time just to, like, sit with this. Is this a bonus track? What are you doing? You sit with it aloud, and then all of a sudden you're completely immersed in the zone. And I feel like this break this harsh break between the content of the earlier portion of the album and this last little coda uh, that we get at the tail stretch here is just, it's its what you need. It's what you need to just release you from all this the anger and strife and, and, and regret and everything that he's been trying to get across. All of a sudden, you just feel this release. And the insinuation is also death, but there's been a lot of, a lot of foreshadowing to that. And this just, it delivers. Three minutes, just sit and with yourself and, and think. And then after the three minutes, it starts to build. Beats come in. We get a bass groove that comes in that sets the mood even more. And and what was really interesting about the instrumentation from this point on, it's almost completely precise in how, not almost, it is completely precise in how each note and each moment and each instrument comes in next. Like it around feels, the five minute, 20 yeah. second mark, the beats kick in also with a really, really great bass that feels again like that belly of the beast feel. Just this consistent gurgle. It's not, it's not um, overbearing by any stretch, but I, the, the, the whooshing in the background, everything amount that, that this amounted to was just really, really satisfying. And it was the first track we've had in a while that is up to 10 minutes long where I finally feel like there's some artistic cohesion to it in its entirety. Last time we had a track of the same length was probably in... Uh, between the buried and me's homo ecliptic, and we had many critiques yeah. throughout that album of their of their ability to condense it into something tangible. And the content of what the voice is saying, which is also a nice character, because the way it phases in and out, the way mm -hmm. it breaks up as it goes along, and the words that are accompanying this are a whole different beast in and of themselves. These words are actually from Alan Watts, a 1950s, 60s, and 70s, early 70s, uh, big-time Buddhist philosopher. One of those guys that kind of was an inspiration behind a lot of the love movements of the 1960s. Uh, he wrote 25-plus books in his time, mostly about self-actualizing and sort of integrating Eastern religion into Western cultural ideas. It's taken from, I believe, a... Um, 
radio broadcast, which is why it took me about 20 minutes, a half hour to even find some of these quotes and figure out who this individual was, even though I actually have read some of his works. That's pretty incredible. <laughs> we wouldn't have known that, for, for instance, going into this, but and no one would know that going into it. They would just assume it's, 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 his, uh, it's his writings, it's his feelings based off of what he's experienced. This is what he's amounted to, but at least it's something for him to, to latch onto. It's something for him to latch onto it in this particular state of despair. First it talks about how everything is shit. And then it goes and says, well, God obviously is unbelievable, so you became an atheist. Oh, well, atheism is obviously a terrible idea because then you're just, you live, you die, great. You might as well just kill yourself. But, I don't know who... But, but, <laughs> what they go into, what this, what this gentleman starts to say at one point really does hit a chord with me. Now, I want to propose another idea altogether. The real you is not a puppet which life pushes around. The real you, the real you, the real deep down you is the whole universe. You cannot confine yourself to what happens inside the skin. Your skin doesn't separate from the world. It's a bridge. But just as a magnet polarizes itself to north and south, but it's all one magnet, so experience polarizes itself as self and other, but it's all one. That was, mm. that's an incredible little tidbit of speech it keeps going it is it's a, a manifesto frankly. it really yeah, is much. but it's so beautiful and integrated into the music that's going on that it really does feel like this is this this i guess is the manifesto they were going for in this album i seriously feel like this is like he's just starting his own religion here like this is his his own way to sort of see your your existence as it were how you came into being and how you go out of being and this is how he he wants you to construe it how he wants you to view it i'm not saying like in the preaching sense but it's a way of viewing life yeah i mean obviously that's something i think a lot of people have trouble dealing with if you if you don't have the, a great outlook on life or how you spend your time here or how you're going to leave your time here then you're probably not going to be making the best out of it. You know, don't live in fear, for instance. Have some kind of uh, peace of mind or, or sense of understanding about what is really going on. In fact, that's how they, they summated at the end. People can't be talked out of illusions. If a person believes that the earth is flat, you can't talk him out of that. He knows it, that it's flat. You'll go down to the window and see that it's obvious. It looks flat. So the only way to convince them that it isn't is to say, well, let's go find the edge. Let's go and find I, the edge. I love that, that sentiment. That actually sounds like probably one of the... It's, it could be a Carl Sagan quote, to be perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. Like, that seems like the kind of thing he would really try to, to convince people of. The idea, the benefits of, of, you know, trying to find the secrets of the universe. Just Just go out and seek something. You know, seek the answers. So... Yeah, there's, this, this, there's a bent here, and it's pretty heavy. This song is, we've, we've struggled to kind of define in the past, and we've debated it, what music as art would be. This. This is what I'm looking for when music is art. It's, it's more than just the song itself. It takes on more than just the song itself. Well, it depends. I don't also want to be so pigeonholed about it. You know, you don't necessarily have to have a manifesto in order to, for your art for your musical art and to I'm, exist. But I'm not even saying that. Aesthetically, emotionally, where it goes, how it builds. I just feel like the structure of this, manifesto aside, brought me to a place and made me feel without not necessarily knowing exactly what I was feeling at first. It just made me be, exist, and feel. And I thought that was pretty palpable. Well, uh, is that a precursor to a wrap-up or 
Shall you pass the buck to someone else? I'm passing the buck to you. Go for it. Yeah, I'm totally not going first. <laughs> All right. This is... I really do see this as an album somewhat in three acts, so I think the, the, this, the divider between the first and second act could be argued. I do believe it's an album in about uh, three or four different places. Um, and it takes its time to really get to the greater meaning. Obviously, the fact that it has 17 tracks... I think either says, I don't believe that says this is a concept album or by any stretch. I, I think it just means that he had a lot of things he wanted to get off his mind, and some of them were personal stories, and then he, at the tail end, tries to make sense of them in some kind of greater context. And that's when the art piece really does start to forage itself. Not to imply that it wasn't art until a certain point in this album, it was a very... It was a very enjoyable album, frankly, and I, I reiterate what I said before about the fact that, that even the more formulaic or familiar tracks here, I came to see as, as extremely fun. I think that that there's, there's there's a market for this, there's clearly a market for this, there has been a market for this, but maybe there still is. And I have been a naysayer in, in that department, I think, for some time, and I might be, this album might have actually turned me around in that department, it made me nostalgic for <laughs> reinfusing the sound into, into a different time. But that said, I, I don't want to diminish the other things it, it, it attempts to do, and succeeds at the tail end here. These last few tracks really have honed the art piece itself, but I'm also a little bit aware of the split, and I think maybe that's the, the album's biggest problem. Some, some of it is in the sense that it sits in the same place for too long, and another, of it, another part of it is the sense that it makes a shift to such a, a grander notion at a really, really late time. And I think that's that's my biggest issue with it. It's just, it wants to lay so much on the line, but so late in the game. And I feel like patience is key. Uh, people sit through music, people sit through albums, and, and after all, music is a exercise in time. And it can try people's patience if, for instance, they're, they just want to hear the, the grand statement initially. So that's the biggest problem. But I really ended up enjoying this record. It's still something to rock out to for the bulk of it. I was prepared until the art piece to rate this much lower, but I think, to be honest, this is, uh... I'm putting this just a hair behind the, the 4, uh, 3.9, for just sticking it and being at least able to provide me something for every step of the way, if not all things every step of the way. Alright, I'll go next. Um, I don't want to uh, drag this conclusion out very far, so I think for me... I'll be pretty succinct. Obviously, um, based on what Steve said as well, the center does kind of dilute the rest of this record. It goes from good to only okay to great. But the great, the truly great, is the last two songs. There's good in the tail end, but the great is clearly the last two or three songs. So, and the end being as strong as it is, that's a long wait. Like Steve said, you ha it is an exercise in patience. And in the past, that's kind of upset us with an album like this. For me, there was enough to get me through that when I got to the end, I enjoyed it. But I don't know that the whole trip was worth it uh, on the grander scale. I liked it. I don't know that I'll go back to it. I think that Steve is right. I think they're on the right track for something grand. But truth be told, the stuff that was less frequent is what I liked more. The acoustic stuff, the slower stuff, the more emotional, heartfelt stuff. That's where I feel their strengths are. The heavier stuff felt like stuff I had heard before with little intricacies that I might not have, and that wasn't enough for me to rate it highly. Um, but that said, I'm, it's not average. It's definitely above average. 
So while I don't think it's right at that next tier, I think that I can safely put it at 375. I think that unfortunately the sameness in tracks, maybe I'm hearing because I have more experience with liking and enjoying this genre from my past. So maybe I know what I'm hearing and what's repetitive a little more. Or maybe I'm more sensitive to it, which could also be the case. But that said, I think it sits there, and I think they're on to something, and I'd be excited to see more. For me, this album was a great first act, a great third act, with a kind of slow second. It, it, it was transforming itself. I could see the flow from what we were getting up to uh, Jire that... I think would have led to this finale, this this bulk from from uh, Sex and Lies onward, that did just not have a middle. That middle being so lacking means, okay, the introduction to the characters and the storyline is great, the conclusion is great, but the conflict just leaves it to be a little lackluster. That's where I'm coming from here, and that's my biggest critique of everything, because I enjoyed throughout just the music musical nature of what's going on it was the composition that was weak in some areas. So for me, really, it it's actually higher than you guys. It's a four. It's a solid piece. But there's three songs I'm raging over that just hurt it so dramatically. Because honestly, if we got Jenny, God Went North, Pyre as the album idea... This would have been Godstick's level. It would have... It could have kept going forever. It would have been... A concept album unto something that really became magical. And honestly, I'm really tickled pink about having someone like uh, Alan Watts be an inspiration for an actual artistic rendition here. It's sort of, it's an incredible interpretation, especially something that's really like five plus decades old, still making its rounds as an inspirational piece. I mean, these guys seem to be in touch with something. When you look at Jenny, when you look at God Went North, I just didn't feel it in the rest of the album. Yeah, and uh, all things considered, it's pretty amazing that we ended up really going for that, um, really going for those high ratings anyway, considering that, you know, we all came to this with like, yeah, we're a little bit familiar with the music style in general. But I think the fact fact that they were able to, (laughs) the fact that they were able to infuse as many things as they were within that over the duration of this album, which is upwards of 17 tracks, is pretty important. And that's uh, what we're going to talk about next. The concept of the amount of tracks you have on the album i believe we may have talked about like album album length or lp length and how it translated from the vinyl and so forth but just the concept of of the number of tracks because it's as close of a divider as we actually have in this day of age to like partition our musical experiences in one moment to the next tracks are bite-sized you can digest them but it's also a chance for you to either grow long-winded in the process and go into you know any number of diatribes or infuse so many different styles and so many different thoughts together that it's not a cohesive album or it's a chance for you to really show all of your cards something that maybe you couldn't do on the standard 10 track length because 17 is is ambitious I mean, I said up front that I thought the actual first and second track should be one piece in a lot of ways because of the transition, because well, musically it was so related. Well, I almost don't count that because that's almost like when it's an intro, it's you like, tack on an extra track. But also. there's also like, oh, God, uh, they might be giants and they're block from 
episode. Oh, uh, the, uh, the the first they might be giants. The first they might be not giants. nanobots was back in episode thirty eight. We had four or five tracks in a row that were seconds long, but they were and different. In, but in retrospect, yes, I did understand why they were subdivided as such because Steve made a great point at that time. They were great little snippets of ideas that they really didn't want to expand into songs. But here. Ocean Floor is a song that they did expand in the very next track. I don't know, but I still think they wanted to introduce the album, and I think them being separate makes sense. But I think the key here is, I personally think maybe if this album was a little shorter, it might have been more cohesive. I feel like that it's middle... subdivision. That's that interesting. Were, that was, I was yeah. coming from the opposite perspective, that actually the fact that this was a 17-track beast allowed me to become so immersed in it that I was mm. starting to perceive other things, the other things they could do, and not just their general sound that will appease a certain crowd. You want more than that. You want substance. You want content. And sitting with this for a certain amount of time may have actually helped. Um, but but specifically, was, the fact that they just have more tracks, more more content to digest. It's a lot of the subdivisions that bother me uh, when we start talking about track-by-track track kind of a nature of albums. Uh, when you start looking at, okay, Abbey Road is a great example because there's a block of six, seven different songs that really are a single musical piece but are in fact subdivided yeah even though on the radio they don't hear the subdivisions because you usually get them as a chunk they're that kind of a piece especially with concept albums or just concept ideas that transcend a single track god sticks is another great example it's it's how do you put these divisions in there are these divisions necessary sometimes only just to break up the length? I mean, that's what it feels like a lot of these it's, are. They're like just said, there to break up length. It's, it's, it's bite-sized. Yeah, bite-sized content for the listener who, at least at that point, can sort of pick and choose what they like. For instance, if you were to just say, all right, we're going to forget about... Um, we're going to forget about tracks entirely, and from now on, uh, albums are going to be released, and I'm sure, of course, there's always one example. There's always several examples of people who try to do this, you know, whenever you state a hypothetical like this. There's They'll... actually a band who's done it, but finish your statement to make sure I'm right. Okay, well, the case of an album that doesn't really, it just has one track, and it's one giant, like, 45-minute track, and that is what you play in a single track bar if you were in an MP3, or you don't see the one turn over to the two if you're playing on a CD. All right, you, so you're itching to say this. Well, because there's a band who's actually done that. Um, no Effects put out an album called The Decline, which was about the Bush administration and the decline of the country and all of that stuff. And, oh, that, and it was a 45-minute monster. It was one track. There were clearly separate songs, but it was one track. It was just one whole track, and it's, there was no jumping around unless you fast-forwarded. Well, this has two effects. One is that you get people so immersed in your story that they're just, well, they're in for the long haul. You can't yeah. change now. A 45-minute track <laughs> is kind of like saying, well, that's the point of no return. Once you're in, you're in. Because yeah. people have that little OCD where they to, to stop in the middle of the track would just feel wrong. It's like closing the book in the middle of a chapter. You at least got to finish the chapter, right? Yeah. To find that wait, bookmark. Wait, wait. Wait, but wait, if wait. you don't give people bookmarks, then it's it's a it becomes a chore. It becomes a an immersive session, which should be music in okay. my opinion, but eh, not for everyone. Swans to be kind. We have to reference this because okay, there's yes. a 34 minute song. That's right. I'm surprised I forgot that. So we we did it's Swans track, to be kind back in episode 96. It's the track "Bring the Sun to Saint Levator, which actually mm -hmm. is a two section piece, but it's too. 15-minute sections, I would not want them to subdivide it. 
regardless of the quality of it, it is an for them an art piece that goes through different, you know, emotional states. It goes through different actual parts well, throughout think- it, and it could be subdivided, but they chose not to. And I'm okay with that. It has movements within it, I would say. But I think, considering maybe our feelings on that particular track, I liked some things in that album, but I don't think that track was really at the height. Oh, we, no, that we, was we actually We all felt like our... we, were, we were being yeah. taxed at that moment. But specifically, uh, in, in terms of the two ramifications I, I mentioned, one being that you will ideally, successfully, immerse people into your work, and then the other is Part B, that you'll alienate them, and that you will trap them within your work. Um is such that you just feel like completely lost in it but a lot of this has to do with attention span as well you have to accept just on the face of it that when people see an album well an album on that hypothetical standpoint that has just one giant track or even an album that has up to you know uh 20 30 tracks they also feel like they're kind of kind of being for the long haul it's 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 almost intimidating well on the other end i mean an album we've talked about or at least i've talked about to death um shave of the dark lord sick passengers 21 tracks but that's also because there are eight different therapy session sketches that connect the overarching narrative and if you were to combine those tracks together or put those as intros to songs it would throw off the flow of the album also it wouldn't allow you to remove the sessions and just listen to it as a straight musical piece which you can do i want to be clear about this also i'm i'm a fan of the long tracks Mm -hmm. long tracks i think are a chance to at least immerse us as much as possible you know without having the giant 45 minute thing but also without having the multiple you know bite-sized listens which can almost seem like like at that point you're you're approaching the idea that you could actually have a compilation because if you're if you're not a concept album then people will always say like ah you just threw that on that didn't need to be here and people are really really going to get into the finer points as we do of uh of album arc and album flow over the course of 25 tracks it's a hard thing to really to really keep in control when you start talking about longer tracks, it's it it's hard to keep along with them. I mean, it's a double-edged sword. When well, you have something explain. that's a longer track like Bohemian Rhapsody that really does have those major movements going along, it really but it's at also times the easy like... answer because that's the ultimate anthemic track yes, that brings exactly. everyone in, and it's it's almost such an earworm that it's like the easiest possible type of track of its type. But there's <laughs> another one of my favorites uh, from the Alice uh, from the album Alice's Restaurant, Alo Guthrie's Alice's Restaurant Massacre, because he doesn't call it a massacre. Uh-huh. It's an 18 minute 20 second side one. And side two's got six tracks, all of them three minutes or less. Like his his walking, talking blues track, Alice's Restaurant, yeah. is a story. It's a story set to music. It it's exactly what it is. It's a bluesy type of an idea. It could or couldn't go either way. It could be broken up, really, because there is a very segregated part halfway through where he goes, Well, I didn't want to talk to you about that. I wanted to talk to you about the draft. <laughs> well, and also, like, with long tracks, think about the cliches that have come up over the years, like Freebird or <laughs> or even Inagata De Vida by Iron Stairway Butterfly. to Heaven. Another one. to Heaven. These are all songs that people either love, 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 or absolutely hate because they are so insanely long. I will say, though, for I think classical music tends to find more of a middle ground there. Sure. Because for classical people, well, a lot of people in this generation they don't know how to take a lot of classicals and they listen to it for a certain length of time and they don't want to be so you know 
such a product of the millennials that they are they're going to completely dismiss it so they're not going to say oh i don't like it but i mean but they're not also going to say that oh i was completely invested every single step of the way there's a lot about classical music that is inaccessible to most people in which case they're going to just in- interpret a 12 minute track as not good or bad just long um <laughs> that's a the thing but this is all this is all the way people interpret it. There's all different kinds of people out there. This is the reason why I am mostly defensive of the long track is because while it can be done successfully and while it can be done poorly and when it goes poorly it goes really poor, it's it's an opportunity for some more expansive and more um higher levels of thinking can erupt within a longer stretch of time whereas when you're under the wire when you're under the 3 minute constraint it's you're just not going to break through in a great in a great way i find that it 12 minutes le- leaves room for the composer to breathe and to think and i think kind of winding back to the start of this conversation was that you know is there kind of this idea of the having too many tracks or not enough tracks or having too long of a track i think that really with something like this with anything that's structured it has to be a case-by-case basis it's like looking at movies or tv also like you can't say this format this length is perfect you can't change it that's how it has to be i think with music it's the, it's the same way it's got to be taken in a case-by-case mm-hmm. if you have too many tracks in a row i mean one of the biggest problems could be just too many rapid fire ideas one after the other a minute here a minute there a minute here a minute there you have to be able to engage your audience enough to let them dwell upon that for the minute, but complete the sentence quick enough that they can move on to the next section. We've had this issue with even longer tracks, four, five, six minute tracks, where we want them to go on forever. Because they, yeah, they're fulfilling and they're great, but sometimes it's just like, I don't want to move on. And in that sort of case, maybe... Maybe some ideas I've even seen like dead air, like 15, 20 seconds of dead air between pieces. It's not commonly used because a lot of people will think there's issues with the tracks themselves. It's common at the end of albums for sure. Yes, it is. But doing that before you go into a new idea, if you think something's going to be impactful, can be something. But then you're not even just adding in too many tracks. You're adding in dead air to a piece of art. A band has actually done that, and I have another reference for that. The band Korn, for the album Follow the Leader, has 11 tracks of Dead Air, and the first track is track 12, but it's actually track 1 for the progression of the album, but it's literally the number on your CD player is track 12. Yeah, it was interesting. Or 13, but there's a ton of Dead Air. Yeah, I thought you were going to bring that one up. I, I actually really liked that album growing up. That was sure, one of those too. albums that was Though just... So I was the first person when I had a CD burner to burn out those dead air tracks and just have the tracks that had music. Mm. Well, it wasn't like you couldn't hit skip. I could, but I didn't want to. I was lazy. I don't know. Maybe they were just trying to fill up all the space on the CD itself. Who knows? Could be. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that ultimately all of our perspectives really just hammer home that... When structuring an album, it is dependent on the genre, the band, the influence, the the reasoning, the arc. The is there a narrative? Is there a concept? I I will say this: being a fan of classical, I I do think I want movements to come back, which in the end would be much shorter length, much shorter tracks, uh, fewer tracks rather, upwards of like three or four. It doesn't have to be a symphony. Doesn't have to be a concerto. Doesn't matter what form you're really writing in, but just a few. Um, really long tracks I think is a really really uh, good opportunity for a composer to to get into their work and to get listeners into their work maybe it'll be demanding at the outset uh, for 
for listeners of this generation, but I think it would pay off in the long haul to just get this concept of the three minute, you know, uh, digest, easy to digest piece out of our heads. Yet at the same time, I still would want to see, you know, be concise, get your point across. Don't overstay your welcome. That's another issue that we have going into so many things. I don't care if you want to make a track two and a half minutes long, make it worth the two and a half minutes and don't leave us feeling wanting. I mean, an artist is going to make a song how he makes a song. A producer might mess around with it to some extent. There's only so much, though, that, that's going to be produced out of a, a single piece of music. Try to keep it at that level. Go for perfection. I mean, that's something that you should be going for anyway when you're producing yeah. music. And then whatever, whatever it yields you doesn't, like... I think really is write your music and then and then find the tracks. Yes, you know, I exactly. Like... That's what I want to get to. Just envision your idea and make it fit. Don't feel obligated to go one way or the other. And that's what I think a lot of art that we've digested on this uh, podcast has has done. I mean, some people, it seems like they're hesitant to end tracks or they don't want to really experiment with the track itself and that can screw around with the actual progression of an album yeah they're fitting they're extent. fitting it to the listener or to it, the label yeah and that's something that i don't think anybody should ever really have to conform to regardless of what the label says get a new label because <laughs> this is art i don't care if you want to make millions of dollars or no money whatsoever it's still art and it's you producing it so be the one producing it what he's saying is go out and buy a label maker there you go. Right, exactly. That's exactly what you're saying. In this day and age, honestly, self-publishing can happen. Nah, just buy a label well, makers. They're really well, cheap. Yeah, independent artists, but they don't make still the same bank that the ones backed by companies are. I'm not getting into that argument. Yeah, a whole different <laughs> argument. Steve, why don't you uh, serenade us with a spam mail? Serenade, is that what we're calling it now? Uh, a spam read? Do it in prose. Oh, a prose. Well, a little prosy. Adornment can besides use eye coloring on your electronic computer. A kudos builds credibleness and be trusted not to miss out on any deals that seem funny. Jolly large indefinite quantity, anyone who has a signification that fits you cured and by much any symbol your thought process about hiring cause. Try adding a few strands that are decreased direct from the war paint correct below your bed. When you are considering buying a color duo a position that you hold spatial property, the correctly organization commercialism as an addable to others. Use humspoken communication view symbol by Canada Goosecoats. That was, okay, that was, but soft, what light upon system error. Yep. Fresh. Yeah, that was that level of prose. I, was, I wanted something better. So do better next week. Um, Me do better. Okay, fine. You do better. Fine. Yes. Yeah. Practice. Get that iambic pentameter. Don't blame down. the spam. No, of course not. No, you can no. turn anything into. You can't a blame rhythm. the computer. It's a computer. We can blame the person. Human error. You could have it's read true. it a little bit, a little bit nicer. I mean, well, would you like me to try again? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> In unison, I love it. All right. Um, before we wrap up, we'll talk about next week. So uh, next week we were supposed to have the um, lovely and talented Matthew Holtzclaw. But unfortunately, he had to cancel, but we have rescheduled him for the new year, so he won't be joining us with his magical magicness. Instead, though, we are bringing back a previous guest, or half of a previous guest, I guess. Um, 
Never yeah, mind. Okay. Too so, much wordplay. So, no, yeah. I liked it. It was accurate. I um, thought you were going to start. Thinking. So we are bringing back for their second time, this time flying solo, another member of the Epic Pie cast. Miss Rachel Shank will be coming back without Mark Robert Turner, her afterbirth monkey brethren. Afterbirth monkey brethren. Wow, companion. that's a companion. 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 Um, She'll be flying solo with us, and we're going to talk about the new movie she's working on with Mark Robert Turner, um, as well as her music, burlesque, all sorts of stuff. She's going to be joining us um, next week, and I'm deciding to leave the album as a surprise. So you will see. We'll keep keep an eye on the post, um, and it'll be updated on the website. But uh, yeah, we're having the return of Rachel Shank. So there, there. Yeah. All right, and also remember, <laughs> don't you forget. Music is life. And And life life is good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.